Hallelujah. Well, my name is Pastor Jim Olson. I have the privilege of serving here uh, at Bethel Christian Fellowship for the past 24 years now. And I'm delighted to uh, be bringing the word of the Lord to you this morning. I'm so excited. I, uh, my wife said, uh, what are you preaching on? We were taking a walk early this morning. What are you preaching on today? I'm preaching on Ephesians 2, 1 to 11, one of my favorite passages of scripture. I think I say that just about every week. And, uh, but this really is one of my favorite passages. So uh, if you have your Bible, I'd invite you to turn there to Ephesians chapter 2. And um, just to kind of set the context, we've just begun a study three weeks ago entitled A New Way, um, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, and we're going to be unpacking this over the next couple, three months, and uh, mining the riches that are found here in this incredible book, truly one of my favorite books in uh, all of the scriptures. And Paul's main focus in the book of Ephesians is to expand the understanding, to kind of to, to see an enlargement of vision of who God is and what God is doing, and enlarge our understanding of who we are and what God's call is in our lives. Because we need to understand our identity and destiny because, again, as we say over and over again, when you know who you are, you'll know what to do. And so for many of us, the biggest challenge that we face is we don't know who we are. And certainly the world around us doesn't give us any very clear understanding or instruction about who we are. And so the book of Ephesians helps us rediscover the nature, the character, the goodness, the 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 immeasurable greatness of God, as well as gives us fresh and unique understanding of who we are and who God has called us to be and what God has called us to do. And we're going to see that encapsulated in our particular portion of Scripture this morning. Last week, I shared with you out of uh, Ephesians chapter 1, 15 to 23, which is Paul's you know, a second great sentence. Um, he begins with a greeting at the beginning of Ephesians. The first couple of verses, he's, he, he does the standard greeting and, and shares uh, his, his name, who it is that's writing and who he's writing to. And then in verses uh, 3 to 14, he writes one continuous sentence uh, unpacking the immeasurable greatness of God. And then he kind of picks up his pen and he sets it down again and he begins to write in verses 15 to 23 is one more continuous sentence which really is a prayer for the church in Ephesus and that whole region. And let me remind you again, Paul's prayer and his encouragement to us and his example is of continuous positive prayer. He prays continually for the church and he prays positively for the church. And he says here, and kind of this is the, the heart of his prayer, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. So he wants us to understand, to grasp afresh. He's praying that our eyes will be opened, that our understanding will be developed about the reality of the hope of his calling, that we have a hope that is holding on with confident expectation in God. This is a settled reality 
what God has done for us. Secondly, the wealth of his glorious inheritance. That's the future. This is what we look forward to. Our inheritance, which is incomparable and inexhaustible in God. So we have this hope of his calling that anchors us in the past. We have this hope of the wealth of his glorious inheritance, which which draws our eyes into the future. And how many of you know that we live a lot of our time in between that past and that future? That's where daily life is lived. The Psalms say we go from strength to strength. And several years ago, and I think I've shared some of that here, the Lord spoke to me and said, you know, we spend a lot of our life living in two, (laughs) between strength and strength. So we live a lot of our life in between, but Paul says, I want your eyes to be opened that you may know not only the hope of his calling and the wealth of his glorious inheritance, but the extraordinary greatness of his power. That our life is now, right now, our now life, daily life, this hour, this day, this week, this moment in time, we are living through the exceeding greatness of his power. Hallelujah. Y'all could shout now. That'd be all right. This is really good news. That we're not trying to live this out in our own strength, but we live it out in the exceeding greatness of His power. All right. So, this morning we're going to unpack the next portion of Scripture, which is found in Ephesians Chapter 2, 1 through 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. Not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So let's unpack this together this morning. And let's return for a moment to those first few verses, the verses 1 through 3, which give us insight into Our human condition, our condition as human beings, all of us here. As for you, say, as for me. me. Because when Paul was writing this, he was writing it to real human beings 2,000 years ago who lived real lives here on planet Earth just like us. So he is saying to all of us today, as for you, as for me, as for us. We were dead in our transgressions and sins. 
in which we used to live when we followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us, say all. all. Do, what does all mean? Everybody. Does that mean you? Does that mean me? All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts like the rest. We were by nature deserving of wrath. All right. Let's unpack this together. The first thing that Paul says very clearly to us is that we were dead. We were dead. Dead means what? Not alive. As it says here, we were dead in our transgressions and sins, or some translations will say trespasses and sins. So we were dead in our transgressions. Our peripatoma is the Greek word, and it means that we have all deviated off the path, failed to reach the goal of life, as we have pursued our own path. Transgression means deviating off of the path, falling off. It means that there was a path laid out for us, as there was a path for Adam and Eve in the garden. They had a path that God had laid out for them. He had given them, placed them in the midst of all of the grandeur and beauty of the Garden of Eden, and He had laid out particular parameters for them to walk on, and they fell off that path. And so have I, and so have you. We have all deviated off of the path and failed to reach the goal of life as we have pursued our own paths. In our sins, hamartia, the sins means we have all the sin means to miss the mark. We've all missed the mark and failed to hit the target of life. Therefore, we haven't become who we could and ought to be. So the reason that we are dead is because of our transgressions, because of our trespasses, because we have failed and deviated off of the path and we have all missed the mark, failing to hit the target of life by sins and transgressions. Trans, trespasses, transgressions of commission and omission. We are all rebels and failures. Now, doesn't that sound like good news? We are all rebels and failures. Now, I don't know about you, but that falls on my ear somewhat um, uh, discordantly. Doesn't it? Does it fall on your ears a little discordantly? Because that's certainly not what we hear, you know, in all of, you know, a pastor, you obviously haven't been to our most recent self-esteem course. What do you mean we're all failures and rebels? Well, what I mean is we're all failures and rebels. Because that's what the scripture tells us we are. 
because we were dead. We were not alive. We'd missed the path and the target. Romans 3.23, very familiar scripture, for all, say all, all all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Even the best person. See, we're accustomed to looking at ourselves in comparison with other people. Right? Don't we do that? We look at ourselves in comparison with other people. So imagine for a moment that you're sitting in your living room and in the morning you're sitting at your breakfast table eating your post toasties and you look out the window and you see this whole line of people because Mother Teresa has just moved in next to you and there's all of these people who are coming to her for help and you're sitting there eating your post toasties and you're thinking, I am nothing. But then you go through your day and that evening you're sitting down and you're in your barca lounger and you're having your wonderful ice cream, Oreo ice cream, and um, it's marvelous because it's, you know, it's great. And um, you're eating your Oreo ice cream and you look out the window and, and, and you notice in your yard trimming the hedge bushes is Jack the Ripper. And you say, hmm, I'm pretty good. But you see, we do that. We, we unconsciously are comparing ourselves with the people around us and therefore thinking, well, I got more life than that person does or I'm better than them. Or I'm... But the gospel, the reality of the gospel, and here's what we need to understand today. I mean, we are all bearers of the image of God. So yes, there is, it's not that there is not goodness that is part of the reality of our lives. And yet, even with that goodness, And Adam and Eve had that bearing the image of God, yet they failed and rebelled against God and all, and everyone since then, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that means you and me. So none of us measure up because God's standard is what? Perfection. And in all of our actions, in all of our thoughts, in all of our lives, there is not a one of us who has lived up to that place of perfection. Because we were dead, we were enslaved. We were enslaved. Paul goes on here and tells us what we were enslaved to. First of all, we were enslaved to the world. The world is the whole social value system which traps us. One commentator writing about this, I love what he says. Listen to this carefully. He says, wherever human beings are being dehumanized by political oppression or bureaucratic tyranny, by an outlook that is secular, repudiating God, amoral, repudiating absolutes, or materialistic, glorifying the consumer market, by poverty, hunger, unemployment, racial discrimination, or any form of injustice, there we can detect the subhuman values of this age and this world. Their influence is pervasive. People tend not to have a mind of their own, but to surrender to the pop culture of television and the glossy magazines or the internet or whatever it is. It is a cultural bondage. We were all the same until Jesus liberated, or as uh, 
the one translation says, we drifted along on this, on the stream of this world's idea of living. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The God of this age, that is a, that is a personification of this world system around us. The God of this age. Turn on your television, open, listen to the radio, open your newspaper, um, go on the internet, look wherever it is that you're going to look, and you will see the God of this age. And he, the, the, this world blinds us to the glory of the gospel and keeps us in a place of enslavement more and more. And it's the frog in the kettle, people. The heat just keeps turning up higher and higher. We were enslaved to the devil. The devil is the prince of this world, the commander of the powers in the unseen world who seeks only to steal, kill, and destroy us. He does. As it says in Ephesians 6.12, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. It's not very fashionable to talk about the devil these days. People don't want to believe. They want to, you know, kind of, and yet, read you, have you read your newspaper? Anybody read your newspaper lately? (laughs) There are things that you see that will stun you that have no, I mean, I'm, I'm speaking objectively, they have no human rational reason. There is no human way of being able to somehow describe those things that happen. We're enslaved to the world and to the devil, to the flesh. The flesh is our self-centered human nature with enthralled us, which enthralled us. It's incredible. Now, have, have I told you recently about my granddaughter, Fiona? My daughter and son-in-law were just on vacation for a week with her, and um, my daughter was telling, you know, they were, and, and she was telling me that, I, I, this is very hard for me to believe, but apparently Fiona is beginning to exhibit a certain willfulness at times. Shocking. It, it must come through the Corning line, um, not through the Olsen, I, you know. <laughs> She's so cute. And like me and you, the world revolves around me and us, our flesh. So those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their, have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. 
I know I've told this before, but I'll tell you again because I'll, I'll never forget it as long as I live. I managed a bookstore before I went into ministry. I was, uh, when I was in college, I was a literature and economics major, and the only thing that really could pull those two things together was a bookstore. So I managed a bookstore, and I remember having a conversation with, a, with uh, one of the people who'd come in to buy books, and we were talking about different books, and she was talking about this book, and I said, you know, um, yeah, it's well-written, and yet um, the the underlying philosophy about it is something that I just don't agree with at all. And we were having this conversation, and I was saying, you know, and, and we just had this open opportunity, and I was talking, and I said, you know, well, I, I personally believe that, you know, we, we have a flesh, and we need to submit ourselves to God. And she looked at me with this rage in her eyes, and this is honest truth that all I can tell you is that there was rage and she looked at me and she said I won't submit to anyone and it was like a slap in the spirit I just felt this slap and my heart just grieved because that's that's our flesh I mean that's you know she was putting words to what our flesh I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, that's the very thing that our flesh wants to say as well. We don't, you know, we don't want to submit. Right? You know, Romans 12, that we're called to be living sacrifices, and you know this, the challenge of living sacrifices is they're always crawling back off the altar. Right? Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Oh, maybe. Hmm. Right? Come on. Am I speaking? Are, are we honest here? Or one of my favorite leadership cartoons where it's a, a group that's around. They're, they're around a table. They're having a discussion. or They're just sitting in a, it. They're, they're in a mosaic group, and they're having a conversation about Romans. And it's talking about, and Paul says, how we are called to die to ourselves. And this woman pipes up, and she says, well, I can't really say that I've ever fully died to myself, but, but I did feel faint once. <laughs> so, we were enslaved. Now here's where it gets really weighty. Everybody happy? Feeling happy? We were dead, we were enslaved, and we were condemned. We were condemned to the wrath of God. Now we're really getting politically incorrect. Wait a minute. Jesus, meek and mild, nice. You know, he's kind of that 60s, 70s guy with the long hair, and he just kind of roams roams around and loves everybody. And what are we talking about, the wrath of God? We're talking about what Paul's talking about here in Ephesians chapter 1. He says, like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Here's the problem, people. We don't understand what the wrath of God is all about. I love what John Stott says. This is about the best explanation of the wrath of God that I have seen. He says, it is God's personal, righteous, constant hostility to evil. It's his settled refusal to compromise with it and his resolve instead to condemn it. Now, a great illustration of this is found in 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel 12. 2 Samuel 12. Sorry, go there. 2 Samuel 12. 
Let me, let me set you up for this. In 2 Samuel verse 11, we have the story of David and Bathsheba. David, at the time when the kings go out to war, David sent all of his troops out and he took a nap. And he woke up from his nap while everybody else was out at war and he looked out over the city and he saw a beautiful woman bathing. Her name was Bathsheba and in his heart he wanted her. So he called her and had somebody go and fetch her and bring her to him and he lay with her and she became pregnant. When he discovered that she was pregnant, he found out about her husband, Uriah, who was one of those who was out on the campaign uh, in the war. And so he said to his commander, I want you to bring Uriah home and have him come on leave. So Uriah came back home and he came to David. And David said to him, I would like to give you three days leave. Go home, rest, eat, sleep, sleep with your wife. So he's, and, and Uriah, being a man of principle, who was a true warrior, said, no, I, how can I do that? All the rest of my troops, my comrades are out there fighting the war. I can't go, I can't go and rest and sleep with my wife, no. And he lay down there, right there in the temple. I mean, right there in, in the palace with, at, at David at the doorway. David even went, he took him a couple more days, got him drunk thought, well, if I get him drunk, I can send him home. Uriah wouldn't do it. So Uriah went back. David sent word to the commander and said, I want you to do this. I want you to go and I want you to attack the city. And when you get close to the city and with the archers and you're getting close, I want you to, everybody to pull back except for Uriah. And Uriah was killed. And Bathsheba found out about it. And of course, she mourned, and then she came and became David's wife, and a little bit later on, she had a child. Well, then, God, who has a personal, righteous, constant hostility to evil, who refuses to compromise with it and is resolved to condemn it, sent a prophet by the name of Nathan to David. And when he came to him, he said... Read with me, 2 Samuel 12. Just listen. There were two men in a certain town, one rich and other poor. And the rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him, and his children shared his food and drank from his cup and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the poor ewe lamb that belonged to the poor... He took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. And David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this is a dead man. He deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. And David, Nathan said to David, You are the man. You're the man. Here's the deal, people. We always think that the wrath of God, yeah, we can all think of people who deserve the wrath of God, right? Come on. 
Y'all can think of people who deserve the wrath of God. David saw clearly that that rich man deserved the wrath of God, but he didn't understand because the God of this age had blinded his eyes. The enemy in his flesh had enslaved him. He was dead and couldn't see that he was the man. So if we're going to understand the reality of the gospel and the gift of life, if we're, listen to me, if you and I are going to truly understand the gift of life, we're not going to be, under, be able to understand the, the fullness of that gift if we don't first understand that we're dead and enslaved and condemned. Because guess what? I'm the man. I'm the man. I'm that man. And so are you. So are we. All right. Well, let's have a benediction and go home now. No. (laughs) This is where the but comes in. And I love when scripture says, but. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works. So that no one So here's the the good news, people. The good news is while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, while we were dead, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Because of his grace, because of his mercy. Titus 3, um, Paul explicates this a bit more. He says at one time, we too, say "Me me too. Me too. We were foolish and disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures, living in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness, there's the but again, when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we'd done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth, the renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. So here's the good news, people. We were saved, therefore, we are alive. We're alive. We are alive in God. The wages of sin are death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah! 
It's only when you realize that you've been dead that this gift suddenly becomes like amazing. I was dead, but now I'm alive. We're free. We have been set free from sin and become slaves of God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. We have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God who has only our good in his heart. Ain't no problem being a slave to the master who is perfect in all of his loving kindness towards us who has only our best. No longer slaves, just no longer driven by sin. Now we are led by the Spirit in freedom. And we are justified. Instead of being dead, we're alive. Instead of being enslaved, we're free. Instead of being condemned, we are justified, as it says in Romans 5. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for All people, that's all of us again. So also one righteous act. What was that righteous act? Jesus on the cross resulted in justification in life for all people. For justice through the disobedience of one man, the many were made sinners. So also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. (laughs) Hallelujah. We're no longer condemned to the wrath of God. We have been justified by Christ. You've all heard the illustration, but let me remind you again. Let's say that I had committed a heinous crime and was deserving of death because of what I had done, and there I was on death row. And I rattled on the, the, the bars as the day was getting closer to my execution. I rattled on the bars and I said, please bring me to the judge. I must go to the judge. I must tell him. And we went to the judge and, the, and we went to the judge. I went to the judge and I said, but judge, don't you understand? I didn't really mean to do it and I'm so sorry and I've changed my heart and I've changed my mind and, and I no longer, and please, 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 would you, would you wipe away the, 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 the penalty of the execution and let me live. But the judge, the righteous judge, the judge who has to follow the way of the law would have to say to me, but I'm sorry, sir. Your crime, the consequence, you are still deserving of death. You must be executed. But then let's say that my brother, Pastor Justin, came before the judge And he said, but judge, you see my brother, you know what he has done, but I would like to come to you to plead for his life, and I want you to know that I am willing to pay his penalty. I will die so that he does not have to. Do you understand that this is what Jesus has done for us? We were deserving of death, condemnation, and God's wrath. But he went before God the Father. That's what justification means. He went before God the Father and said, I will die so that he, so that she can live. (laughs) Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. 
Thank you, God. And we receive this gift by faith. This isn't some kind of universalism that we're saved in spite of, you know, I mean, even as we continue to rebel against and, and resist God. Now, like any other gift, if I'm going to bring this gift, and I'm going to give this gift over here to Emma, that gift will only become a gift to her when she actually takes and receives that gift. So we must receive this gift by faith. This righteousness, Paul says in Romans, is given through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For those who trust and surrender their lives to him, you and I, we have the obligation and the opportunity and the joy of opening our lives and saying yes. I receive this gift. I recognize that I'm dead and enslaved. I recognize that I am deserving of wrath and condemned. However, Jesus, I understand now that you have gone to that cross for me and I desire to receive you, to become alive, to become free, to be justified. And so, Lord, I take hold. By faith, I accept and receive your gift to me. Now, and forever, and we are saved, and we are being saved, and it is a continual process for us. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We continue to open our lives in faith to him. It's point and process that continues to unfold throughout our lives. So here's our new condition Verse 10 of Ephesians 2. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are his handiwork like these beautiful uh, banners or if you ever watch like Julie Thompson or Katya or Jean Perry or some of the wonderful, uh, you know, Amy Hernandez and all these people who do these beautiful things, weaving fabrics and taking things, and that's what we are. We are God's masterpieces. We're his handiwork. As it says in in Isaiah 60, verse 21, then all your people will be righteous and they will possess the land forever. They are the shoot I have planted, the work of my hands for the display of my splendor. You are an individual, beautiful, perfect formed masterpiece of God created to display his splendor like no one else who has ever or will ever walk the earth that's the new condition we have as Christ comes in and we become alive in him we become we are he continues to form and shape and fashion us and conform us to the image of his son we're masterpieces we are a new creation if anyone is in Christ the new creation has come the old is gone the new is here I'm a new creation I am no longer defined by my past. I am no longer confined by my failures. No longer am I a failure or a rebel. Now I am a new creation in Christ. This is who I am. His masterpiece. And, and, because of that, we will walk in 
good works that he has prepared in advance for us to do. I cannot do your good works. I'm not riding the same bus that Jeremy's riding when somebody comes and wants to have that conversation about God. God has prepared him to do those good works. God has put you in your workplace. God has placed you in your school. God has put you in your family and in your neighborhood. He's put you in your place of influence so that you will do good works, which he has prepared in advance for you to do. That's the good news. It's not like gritting your teeth and saying, okay, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this happen. I'm going to, you know, no. He's already gone before you. As it says in 1 Peter 2, 12, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. I long for the day when Christians are known, I mean, you know, when in, in every situation where we are known as the people of integrity, of, of truthfulness, of kindness, of, of um, excellence, of, of creativity. I mean, when we're the people that other people go to and say, you know, it's like, like it says there's a prophetic word in the Old Testament that talks about where there would come a day when people would grab hold of garments and say, take me to the mountain with you. We see our culture around us. We know what's happening. If you open your eyes at all, you'll see, you'll understand the direction the things are going around us. And yes, thick darkness covers the earth. But what does it say in Isaiah 60? It says, arise, shine, for your light has come. See, thick darkness covers the earth. It's over all. But you, rise up and shine. The darker it gets, the lighter the church should become. I love this, John 5, 24. Very truly, I tell you, when Jesus says, you know, in, the, in your King James, it says, verily, verily, or in some of your translations, it says, truly, truly. It's when Jesus is saying something, he says, I really, I want you to get this. This is not just truth. This is truly truth. <laughs> truly truth, I'm going to tell you. Whoever hears my word and believes him who has sent me has, 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 has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. I've said this I don't know how many times, but I'm going to say it again today. Jesus did not simply come here on earth to make bad people good. He came here to make dead people live. He came to make dead people live. And if we're going to focus all of our attention on simply trying to clean people up around us and make, you know, as the old analogy says, you don't get to clean the fish until they're caught. So let's start inviting people into life. And when they begin to experience life, God will take care of the other stuff. But he's not going to, they're not going to be able to walk into 
holiness and righteousness and justice and beauty and peace and all of the things that He offers on their own and in their own strength. It is only as He comes with His life. Hallelujah. Let's stand to our feet. We're going to sing this song. If you just stay with us as we sing this, then I'm going to give a benediction in a moment. But let's let this song remind us of the truth you've just heard. And if you've never come into relationship with Jesus today, you can come down right here and talk to Lynn and pray with her. She'd love to pray with you today and to help walk you into relationship with Jesus Christ. You can begin. You can cross over from death to life today. And maybe you have found yourself in a place where you feel enslaved again. The Bible says, do not let yourself be enslaved again to the spirit of fear. Don't let yourself be enslaved to the things that enslaved you in the past. You can walk today in freedom, in the fullness of life in Him. So if there's something that you just want to bring and you want to come to that altar again and say yes to Jesus, He understands your heart. He knows the heart is deceitful above all things. But here's the good news. God is greater than our hearts. And He wants to bring you into freedom today. He wants to bring you into fullness today. This is a year of growing maturity. Let's keep growing up as we are filled with Him. So if there's something you want to bring, if you want to come, come on now. Come to this altar and just declare this song together with us this morning. Would you please just open your hands right now? Let Jesus, here in this house today, we receive the truth of this word. Lord, this new way that you have created through Christ with gratitude and with joy, our hearts say yes. So we receive the gift of life today, anew and afresh. And now I pray that this very day, with your hands open, receive the benediction. I pray that you would be filled afresh with the immeasurable love of God the Father, with the irresistible mercy and grace of Jesus Christ the Son, with the inexhaustible strength, power, comfort, and hope of the Holy Spirit. Be with you and yours as you go from this house to yours, sent to make disciples of all nations. Go with the banner of his favor over your lives. And until we gather again, either in this home or in our eternal home, I pray that his love and goodness and mercy will chase you down every day of your life. I bless you, people of God, in Jesus' name. Amen.